Welcome to the Intelligent Adventist Podcast. My name is Adrian Zahid. And I'm Mike Manea. We're going to be going through the book of Mark, and we're going to try and uh, do like a verse-by-verse or topic-by-topic uh, coverage of the book um, as an introduction to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, essentially building for our listeners um, some examples of how to do Bible study and what you can get out of Bible study. One of the reasons why I like starting with the book of Mark, uh, especially for a small group setting, is that it is a book that is targeted for Gentile hearers. So people who do not have a background in the Bible or in the Old Testament, and uh, it was initially targeted towards those people, and also for people like us today, who don't have the, the, the benefit of having grown up in uh, a Jewish setting. So <clears throat> I think it's a perfect book uh, to introduce the basic elements of Christianity and what can be more basic than studying the life of Christ. Mike, what are your uh, reasons for studying this book? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start as well. Um, it's uh, considered to be the first of the Gospels in terms of when it was written. Um, it's, it's a shorter gospel, so if you want to get as quick an overview of uh, the story of uh, the ministry of Jesus, you can start in Mark, and it's a good introduction to, um, or a good place to start before you even start with the other, or try to read the other gospels. Yeah, so the background for Mark is that traditionally, I mean, we could do probably an episode that, that touches on the writership of uh, Mark. But traditionally, uh, the, the book has been ascribed to John Mark, who was uh, related to Barnabas, and he had traveled with Paul, Apostle Paul, on several trips before he, um, being a young man, he got tired of, of the, the, uh, the hardship of, of presenting the gospel in unentered areas, and so he quit the ministry for a while. And it caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas, as we find out in uh, the book, I believe, uh, the book of Acts. And <clears throat> they ended up uh, splitting, and uh, Barnabas decided to reinvest in John Mark and took him on a journey. And over time, John Mark proved to be uh, a person that was trustworthy. And even Paul came around to saying that uh, he was a benefit to him and to the, to the work itself. And for this particular writing, um, Peter was the, the source for the gospel. And so John Mark had apparently developed a relationship uh, with Peter to the point where at some point uh, they decided that it would be good for, for Peter to write down or to mention uh, his association with Jesus. And this is where we get uh, most of the, the background stories of what happened uh, while Jesus was on this earth. And uh, we get to see uh, a snapshot of what what it was like to be with Jesus uh, when he was on earth. A lot of the gospel is very concentrated, as, as you mentioned, Mike. Um, to me, it seems like the gospel is kind of emphasizing the divinity of Christ. And it's uh, trying to make the case that uh, Christ was the Messiah. But... Uh, with an emphasis on the works that he accomplished um, and the teachings as well, but more along the lines of the works of what he did so that people could get a feel for what it was like to 
uh, associate with Jesus in the time that he was active on this earth. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, <clears throat> the the feeling I get when I read Mark is that the author is really trying to get to the point. He's really trying to, to get us through the story as quickly as possible, uh, maybe even as a quick introduction. Because, I mean, if we go back to that time, time period, uh, before there was anything written down, they needed something that people can can read and, and kind of get a feel for the for the story because uh, it wasn't always possible for the apostles to go visit every place that had been where they had people had preached the gospel to tell everybody kind of give them an idea of the whole picture of, of what had happened and it almost feels like this was one of those things that they needed to sit down and write something as quick as possible tell the story as well as they could within the shortest time frame and then get it done and then after that, additional writers took the time to elaborate and give additional pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. And as it is with uh, any uh, book of the Bible, the author of the Bible, uh, of the book, is uh, the Holy Spirit. Because he is the one that uh, uh, inspired the, uh, the writers to, to focus on different areas of uh, what he felt was essential for humanity to understand the plan of salvation. So the Holy Spirit is the, the author, but uh, in this case of this book, uh, Mark was interviewing Peter and uh, writing down what uh, Peter was, was discussing. So <clears throat> we'll start with verse 1, and we'll just go verse by verse and just share um, our thoughts on the text. It's not an exhaustive uh, review of the text uh, exegetically or uh, any expository um, analysis. What we're doing here is just a simple Bible study, and uh, we invite you to follow. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1, we will start. I will uh, read, I guess, the first three verses. Um, it says, this is the good news uh, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. So this is, um, I guess, the pre-aspect of, of uh, Christ's ministry. And in verse 4, it says that this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness preach and preached the, that the people should be baptized and show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So I guess uh, they're setting up the, the, the reason for why Jesus appeared and why he, his coming was foretold. And they're starting with uh, with John. What is the significance of reaching back to Prophet Isaiah in your mind? Um, I think it's it's part of much of the New Testament to always back everything up with the like the, the new every section of the New Testament is backed up by parts of the Old Testament to show that continuity, to yeah. show that this is not some original religion, something brand new, but it's actually just a continuation of what had been predicted in the past and what was expected to happen. Yes, and most of the Christians of uh, the day of uh, Mark and Paul had to have access to uh, the Old Testament, which really was the, the Bible of their day. Yeah. And so here they're establishing the fulfillment of prophecy in, in the Old Testament, and they're showing the link to, um, to Jesus. And... So this is, I guess, the, the, the beginnings, as you said, of, of the New Testament. 
But in those days, it was just, hey, we're referring to the Bible. Yeah. And this particular verse would have been um, familiar to those who uh, had studied the Jewish scriptures. And uh, for others who hadn't, it gives them an essential background to understand that there is a preparation for this message. Um, in the old days, before a king would, would give a message, people would clear the way, they would make the way so that uh, the either the the messenger or the king could make his way to a prominent place in order to, to explain his message, uh, share his message. And so here we have the same thing played out where uh, Jesus is being, uh, I guess the, the platform is being prepared for Jesus' message. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it also helps to kind of remember that uh, at this point in time, people didn't have direct access to Scripture the way we do today. So they didn't have uh, a copy of the Old Testament on their shelf sitting there for years collecting dust. Um, they had <clears throat> the books of the Old Testament written on scrolls, and they were usually kept in the synagogues. And not everybody had the ability to read them, but people would go to the synagogue and have the leaders of the synagogue read these passages to them. So... Um, a lot of uh, there was quite of quite an emphasis on education within the Jewish nation, and the children were raised listening to the scriptures being read to them over and over, and having memorized large chunks of them. So, when a Jewish person read this passage, uh, and they heard something like, "I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way for you," uh, that resonated immediately in their mind as something that they had heard over and over maybe not necessarily understanding what it was talking about, but it was part of their... They, they learned that oftentimes like poetry. It was just yeah. part of their childhood memory growing up and you know their entire lives hearing these things over and over when they went to church or synagogues. Yeah. So here they are hearing uh, something that's familiar with the, uh, to them. And the emphasis uh, shows... Uh, it, it, the emphasis right here is on John the Baptist and his message. And it says that his message that he preached was uh, that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So baptism, I believe, was uh, a new concept that perhaps uh, John the Baptist had introduced, but it was tied to the aspect of forgiveness and the forgiveness of sins and uh, repentance of sins and forgiveness and also right living after that, that moment. So this is a, a very key um, teaching that John the Baptist was, uh, was preaching for which he became famous. And while most of the readers of, of this particular text were not probably uh, immediately in the context of Israel or had associated with John the Baptist, but those who had heard of John the Baptist would have known that this was uh, the message that he was definitely uh, preaching. So going on, it says uh, all of the, all of the, all of Judea, including the all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. So apparently he was a phenomenon. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist for. Uh, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And locusts here um, probably is a plant rather than the, the locusts we think of today. <coughs> but here John is 
is um, not only is is a description given of his sermons, but also of his uh, appearance, yeah. which was also unique for his time. So it was a very austere, minimalistic um, presentation of of uh, the the truths in Scripture um, and the announcement that somebody is coming. So in John, uh, in verse 7, it says, John, now someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that even uh, that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. I baptize you with the water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here again is uh, an introduction to the third member of the Godhead. And while I don't think this was a surprise to the the people hearing, because obviously he's preaching this stuff, um, and they're they're hearing and, and being affected by it. But here he's uh, introducing um, somebody who's going to come, and and he's using the the example of baptism as uh, what is a physical representation of of something spiritual that the Holy Spirit will accomplish. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think there's quite a few interesting things there to, to spend some time on. Like, for example, this idea of, of a person being out in the wilderness preaching who's dressed weird and who eats, has a weird diet. And and the natural reaction would be like, hey, maybe this is just some crazy person, you know, some homeless person out there that just lost it and is, is just saying nonsense. But clearly a crazy person wouldn't have this effect on people. He wouldn't have people from all over the country going to visit and listen to him and then going forward and doing something strange. Um, at least from my understanding, the, this baptismal uh, pro procedure, whatever you call it, was something that usually, if it was done at all, it was done with non-Jews. Mm. So um, for a Jewish person to go through this was something that they probably would have been offended by. Yeah. And yet people were willing to do it. So so there was something about this man that set him apart and, and people looked past all these externals and said, no, this guy, this guy seems like he, he really might be a, a true prophet, like the prophets we had some 400 years ago, because there was this intertestamental period where there was sort of prophetic silence for a while. Yeah. And people took him seriously to the point where they, they took these steps that were probably embarrassing to them. And maybe one of the keys to to what made him different is the fact that he didn't preach himself or he didn't preach something of his own, like, here's my theory, my idea, my gospel, my message. He preached somebody else. He preached that somebody else was coming that was greater than him and that this person would do things so much better than what he was doing at that moment in time. Yeah. And uh, basically he diverted attention from himself. Like, it was evident that he wasn't trying to gain influence. He wasn't trying to gain power or anything because he didn't care about the externals he was just pointing attention to somebody else yeah and that might be actually um a good way to test the veracity of a gospel messenger because there's so many people in this world today that um claim to be sent by god and when you actually analyze their their life and their lifestyle it turns out that um, the ministry itself is a tool for them to gain uh, money or to gain power or influence or anything else that's out there. But here we have, as you said, John the Baptist, um, not bringing people to himself, but rather being as an introducer to somebody that is coming that is greater than him, that will have an effect on the 
the people and the world itself. So let's go on to verse 9. It says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up from the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly beloved Son, and you bring me great joy. Then the Spirit uh, compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for forty days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, and he preached the good news, God's good news. Uh, the time prophesied by God has come at last, he announced, that the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So a lot in those uh, uh, in that passage there. And we will um, <clears throat> go through and look at um, a few of those those concepts. But here he actually describes, in very few verses, he moves, John, uh, Mark moves from uh, hearkening back to Isaiah to describing uh, the Baptist and his message, and then Jesus' baptism itself. And so here Jesus appears, he uh, goes to get baptized, he comes out of the water, and there is a supernatural event where the people that were present there, including John, hear a voice from heaven saying, um, this is my dearly, you know, you're my dearly beloved son. And so what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think part of the, one of the reasons why we realize that this is such a quick synopsis of what happened is because of the other gospels where the same stories are given with so much more detail. Mm -hmm. I mean, here we say, it says, uh, the spirit took him to the wilderness for 40, where he was for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Well, the other gospels have an entire chapter for that one verse. Yes. So, by contrast, we kind of tell the difference. But maybe we should spend a little bit of time talking about the baptism of Jesus. Because uh, it's significant here, and it's significant in the other Gospels, in the sense that, on the one hand, you know, Jesus seems like he shouldn't be getting baptized, because he, the meaning of baptism is repentance, uh, for, uh, turning, you know, turning away from sin, forsaking the past, starting new. And yet Jesus is perfect. And the other Gospels actually bring out this conflict. I mean, John the Baptist is basically even asking, you know, why am I doing this? You should be baptizing me. Uh, but uh, Jesus says, no, let's let's do this anyway. So maybe we should talk about why the, what is the significance of that. Yeah, well, this is this is more of a concentrated, expresso version of, of, the, <laughs> of the, the Gospel. But in the, I guess in the context of this text, um, Jesus is shown, a, it's significant that Jesus is shown uh, as someone that is coming to be baptized. As you mentioned before, uh, people uh, may have taken offense by being asked to be baptized if they were already Jewish. And uh, definitely, you know, they were confessing their sins and all this stuff, but Jesus had no sin. And so for him to come and condescend to be baptized by John was probably... Uh, um, a significant event, right? Um, okay, so <clears throat> the the next part is um, the supernatural event. Yeah. Obviously, uh, we have to take the Bible as it as it is uh, being presented. We cannot really um, uh, we cannot we cannot enter into judgment as to how this this particular thing happened. All we can do is we can take the evidence and then we can say, okay, what are the implications if this is true? So. 
we're going to take it as if it is true. And we're going to say that, yes, they heard a voice from heaven. And yes, it was, uh, uh, you know, um, an endorsement of Jesus' ministry. So Mark starts out by saying, there's uh, this text in Isaiah, and then there's a, a person that presents. That's that's. There's a text in Isaiah that's predicting somebody coming, and uh, presenting, uh, or an introduction, and then the introduction is made, and then it is confirmed by heaven. So Jesus has all of that stuff in a few verses, um, a, a stage that is set for him with heaven's approval. And I think this would be a good place for us to, um, to probably stop. And uh, so any final thoughts on this on this passage right here that we've read? Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I have quite a few thoughts. And, you know, since you mentioned stopping, it's kind of a, a bad place well, to we jump could, in. But, you we know, could probably, why don't we just go through your thoughts uh, and then we'll... I'll, I'll just do it quickly yeah. and then we can come back to it in future episodes. But there's a lot more that we could be saying about this passage, but this is one thing that maybe isn't often said. But but there's this idea of a sort of a handoff or a handshake or, or kind of a tag team effort in, in Scripture, like... Uh, you know, if you if, if if you watch those wrestling games growing up, you know where there was like somebody jumped in the in the ring and tag team somebody else, and they came in and took over or whatever. There's this or or the baton, you know, like in a race where people race and they give the baton to the next group. There's this um, this idea of a, a sort of a mutual endorsement here. So Isaiah is pointing forward to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, you know looking back to, to those prophecies and, and, and uh, saying, yeah, th this is the fulfillment of those things. And then Jesus comes on the scene and, uh, and John the Baptist points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit endorses Jesus. Jesus endorses John the Baptist's ministry by submitting to his, uh, you know, uh, baptism, baptism and, and, and all this. And then it goes even forward after that with the apostles. Jesus endorses the apostles who, you know, endorse the fact that he died and he was resurrected and, and so on and all these things. And um, a lot of times we have, um, you know, we spend a lot of time reading stuff written by theologians. And, and there's a lot of talk among theologians about uh, how trustworthy is the Bible? Like how exactly has God controlled the writing of the Bible? You know, do, is it is it inerrant? Is everything exactly the way God wants it? Or is it just a bunch of human beings trying to make up stuff the best they could? But... If you look at how scripture is written, there's this constant handoff from one prophet to the other. Like Moses points forward to stuff. People after Moses point back to Moses. Um, everything is mutually endorsed to where the, it, it ends up being this whole, this, this canon of writings that support each other and are endorsed by the message they present and the, the rationale of it all coming together. And, and there's like a historic endorsement, a future endorsement, and so on prophecy and all these different things tying in together supporting the the message of scripture yeah and that i think is is part of the criteria that determines what is scripture versus what is really good inspired writings yeah. or just uh, apocrypha mm -hmm. um, or fake stuff so to me when i when i hear um the disciples referencing the old testament it seems like they're anchoring the faith in God's working in the past. Um, and they're pointing to what occurred in, in their present as well as what is coming in the future. And so that is, I think, the, the, the message um, 
of the Bible that I take that gives me certainty in terms of uh, believing what the, the record is saying. And yeah, there's, there's always going to be um, complications where uh, people want to, um, either they bring different lenses to the scripture where they feel like, uh, well, there can't be any supernatural uh, person that's arranging these thoughts. Um, or they could say that uh, unless we have some scientific uh, verification of these particular uh, episodes, there's no way for us to know whether or not it's true. Yeah. So there's, there's I think, uh, that kind of considerations for those people. But for me, as I read this, I read this scripture and I see the internal coherence and the internal consistency and the self-referencing uh, data uh, or evidence that, uh, like you said, is uh, endorsing uh, the ministries of people in the past, people in the present, and also external validation from, from God himself. So here, I think, in this particular uh, event, I, I would say like a, this small thing, which really doesn't really matter in the, in the large scheme of things, but at Jesus's baptism, you have Jesus in the water, you have the Holy Spirit in the air, and you have this voice from heaven. So um, there are three separate entities that are involved in this uh, event, along with the human, which is John the Baptist. And uh, in all those things, uh, you can see the work of salvation being performed by three different individuals. Um, so this is where we, we, we get the idea, or at least one of the ideas of uh, the Trinity yeah. uh, in salvation. Anyway, I think this is a great place for us to stop, and uh, we will come back in uh, uh, next episode uh, to maybe cover some of the, the aspects that uh, are still outstanding in this uh, particular passage, and then uh, we'll move on to the next uh, uh, parts of 